truck and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Thursday. Welcome to The Blaze Live and On Demand. This is The Steve Dace Show. That would be me alongside... For the ride, or Todd and Aaron today, uh, you can let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at stevedace.com. That's how you can email the program. D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. At Steve Dace Show. Got a lot going on here today. It's a Theology Thursday. We've got some questions from a student at Liberty University who describes himself as a Christian anarchist. And our responses to his questions are going to make up Theology Thursday a little bit later on. Also, old friend of the show, hasn't been on for a while, but uh, he is uh, got squared in his sights, climate change, global warming, hysteria. He's a commentator. He's a comedian. He's an author. Evan Sayet's going to join us uh, next hour of the show. Some three non-political questions coming your way uh, at the bottom of the hour as well. But uh, especially with today being a Theology Thursday, we love to support uh, Back to Jerusalem uh, because their heart, their ministry is to take God's word to the ends of the earth, particularly with a focus on what are called closed countries. Now, these are countries that have, are called closed because they're trying to close their people off to the Word of God. And there's a simple reason for that. I mean, people that are hope-filled, inspired, uh, tend to be less tolerant of being oppressed. And so their target are countries like uh, Iran, North Korea, Somalia, uh, communist China. And what they've done is taken the Bible and put it in a small, downloadable form, that uh, makes it easier. It's just about the size of a pill, so it makes it easier to get it past the gatekeepers uh, and the jackbooted thugs uh, in these closed countries. But they need our help. Uh, their total overhead cost from conception to delivery of one of these uh, downloadable Bibles to a persecuted person in a closed country is about $15 a pop. If this seems like something, you're like, hey, you know what, man, I, I can bring my lunch uh, tomorrow. Uh, and and we're going to do this instead. Blazehelp.org is the website, blazehelp.org, or give them a call at 844-305-0566, 844-305-0566. And now here's Aaron with what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by The Bar Hearing. The last question that I have in 17 seconds. Do you think it's okay for a president to offer pardons to people who don't testify against him to threaten the family of someone who does? Is that okay? Uh, what, when did he offer a, a pardon to someone? I think you know what I'm talking about. Please. What do you mean? Please, please, Mr. Attorney General. You know, give us some credit for knowing what the hell is going on around here with you. Not really. Of this line of questioning. So, we're gonna, we're gonna, listen. You've slandered this man. Yeah. What I sort of want to know is how do we get how do we get to this point? Yeah, I do not so, think so that how do we I'm get to the point anyone. Where the, so, all all I can say, Mr. Chairman, I am done. Thank you very much. And you slandered this man from top to bottom. Uh, he is trying to blackmail the committee into not uh, following what we think is the most effective. Uh, means of, uh, of, of eliciting the information we need. Bill Barr was supposed to continue his hearing this morning, but... Chicken Barr should have shown up today and answered questions. He was afraid of Barry Burke. He was afraid of Norm Eisen. Just remember, they're all our employees. James Comey op-ed, How Trump Co-Ops Leaders Like Bill Barr. 
First of all, I don't know why James Comey feels the need to weigh in at every sort of yes, large do. moment. You know why. <laughs> Minnesota Congresswoman Ilan Omar says the crisis in Venezuela is our fault. A lot of the policies uh, that we have put in place has kind of helped lead um, the devastation in Venezuela. And we've sort of set the stage um, for where we are arriving today. Uh, this. Um, particular bullying and the use of, of sanctions to um, eventually intervene and um, make regime change uh, really does not help the people of countries like Venezuela, and it certainly does not help, um, and it's not in the interest of the United States. MSNBC, your thoughts. You have to understand in Venezuela, gun ownership is not something that is open to everybody. So if the military have the guns, they have the power. And as long as Nicolas Maduro controls the military, he controls the country. Independent journalist Andy Ngo was pepper sprayed by a member of Antifa outside an event he was covering. Chris Cuomo, your thoughts. You can talk about Antifa. I've watched them in the streets protesting in different situations, okay? There are certainly aspects of them that are true to a cause. That is a good cause. They want social justice. They want whatever they want in that context. More evidence a two-state solution will work. This is Gaza activist Miriam Abu Musa saying, quote, We will soon carry the Jews and throw them into the ditches of Hitler who wanted to burn them. I'm saying to the Arabs, listen carefully to every word I say. If the Golan Heights is gone and the Jews get their hands on it, the entire Arab world will be grabbed by Israel overnight. Before you can blink, all of you will eat and drink out of the shoe of the Jews. Israel came to a standstill this morning as sirens sounded throughout the country. Citizens stopped what they were doing to remember the six million victims of the Jewish Holocaust. Evangelical megastar Beth Moore says, quote, There are simply no gospel grounds for defending white supremacy. None. This isn't theological rocket science. The Savior of the world gave himself on the cross for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. Cool. Who's doing that? And finally, I just want to preemptively apologize for what you're about to see. Apparently, there is a comic centered around one Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the congresswoman from New York. The name of the comic is called Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and the Freshman Force, New Party, Who Dis? And just wait till you see the depiction of Nancy Pelosi. Why did you do that to us? Did, I saw did, I, did I need to do I this? I saw it. You have to see it. Apparently, that's how leftists think of Nancy Pelosi. It's kind of, that was actually one of the least disturbing parts of that whole montage to me, quite frankly. Aaron's Montage, brought to you by our friends at Riduzone, who know that uh, most of us don't put a stoplight on, uh, on the dinner table there to tell us when to stop eating, because that would be weird. But then we just saw that picture of Nancy Pelosi, so maybe not so much. Go ahead, put a stoplight there. Isn't any weirder than that? Uh, but you do have a stoplight that's naturally present in your body. It's called OEA. It sends a signal to your brain that you're full. But for some of us, that signal isn't strong enough, particularly the older we get. So we keep eating, gaining weight. Uh, get your body some help uh, through Riduzone. Riduzone's main ingredient and it's only got three ingredients, but its main one is OEA. So it's formulated to know 
or to help you know when you're full, think of Riduzone uh, as your own personal stoplight, just one capsule a day. Willpower only gets you so far, so give Riduzone a try as well. Uh, you can do so by going to Riduzone.com. That's R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E, R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E, Riduzone.com, and they'll get you a special offer right now when you head over there to Riduzone.com. All right, the Bill Barr hearing from yesterday was going on as we were on the air, and there was just no way for us to break it down in real time. And uh, then I took a look at the way it was covered on both ends of the media divide, and it's just, goodness. Oh, man. Yeah, see? You want to talk about Nancy Pelosi's washboard abs now? Because you know this is worse. I, I can't do it justice. There's a guy named Joe Cunningham who wrote a story about this today over at Red State, and I, I tweeted it out. So if you were on Twitter at Steve Day Show, just go into my feed and go read Joe's story where he just takes a look at the various headlines that existed on both sides, media feeds about the exact same event. And I, I've got nothing else, you know, uh, but we will discuss whether any substance came out of this at all later today on our Blaze TV roundtable. Can, can I just say, I, I love this, Steve Day. There was never... a a challenge when somebody really wrote something well. You'd like take that and like, I want a shot at this too. Now you're just so broken. You're like, just go, go read, go read the other guy. Yeah, I just, I don't. <laughs> it's just, and it's not that long. It's maybe five, 600 right. words. And most of it consists of a summary of the various headlines, all presuming to cover the exact same event. All this, the exact same event, all the same testimony. But, but you know what? This time, instead of, uh, we, Lindsey Graham upped his rant game with an F-bomb, is my understanding. He dropped an F-bomb there uh, in the Senate uh, Judicial uh, Judiciary Committee. So These were my friends. <laughs> yeah, 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 there you go. Um, let's get to something that I think is far more substantive, in my view. And... <laughs> I'm doing that a lot lately. You just lost... <laughs> is this on I'm, I've got a lot of battle scars from conversations like this and there have been times and you know Aaron has brought some of these matters to my attention in the last year especially and there are times and I, I, I don't know that it's right but we're always going to tell you the truth on our show the best we can and I'm just always going to be honest, maybe even brutally so. But there have been times the last couple of years that I have said to you guys, and I think I probably even said it on the air, I, I just, I can't. I don't have the stomach for it. I have, you know, I, I can't be Don Quixote with a toothbrush charging a windmill again. I've, I've done it all throughout my career. And I want you all to know the reverb on that thing is a, is a motherless goat. <laughs> Okay, it's uh, and and everybody wants to tell you, hey, yeah, go charge that hill, and then when you're like looking around, yeah. uh, they're like, hey, what do you mean we? That's my nature? favorite part. Yeah, yeah, I love that. You know, I I have I've done my tour of duty where that's concerned, and I just I I can't do anymore. But now maybe I can, because I I saw this yesterday, and I don't know why really. I I I can't tell you why at that particular moment. Maybe it, uh, maybe it was God saying to me, you know what, man, you can't punk out on me now. 
I mean, you have more friends to lose. <laughs> Maybe that's what it was. But I, you know, I'm sitting there yesterday morning and you guys, by now I've talked about my routine. You know, first thing I do, you know, your typical, uh, you know, nature call first thing in the morning. And I like to, I, I treat Twitter like my AP wire. I get caught up on what went down while I was away, basically, you know, for the last eight to 12 hours. And I, I see these tweets from Beth Moore. And I just, I just shook my head and I was going to let it go because I've seen stuff like this before. And I just thought, I just, I can't, man. I got 17 other reasons for people to hate me today. I just, I can't. And I was, I was moving, I had moved on and something dragged me right back and said, nope, no, this, 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 this needs to be called out. So for those of you that aren't involved in evangelical subculture, uh, Beth Moore is a superstar. Uh, There's no way else to describe that. I think Aaron put it well. Uh, She's made her, I've not followed her work much the last few years, um, but she's, she's, she made her bones really specifically teaching women. And yeah, I know my wife's read some of her books. I've watched several of her messages, uh, but probably, you know, those would have been seven, eight, nine, ten years ago. Uh, found them to be fairly biblical, encouraging. Um, kind of your, kind of the, the, really the de facto head of the Southern Baptist Convention's women's ministry. You think that's a fair assessment, Aaron? Uh, emphasis on de facto, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if they, if they appointed one over yeah. there at the SBC, yeah. but she would be its most recognizable figure, sells out conferences, books all over the world. And we've alluded at this time, at, at times on this show, we've alluded to an emerging faction within evangelicalism that I think it, they, they need to be given their own, their own distinction because these are not people that are theologically unorthodox. All right, these aren't American Baptists or General Baptists or Hacks. These aren't Jim Wallace's, Tony Campolo's, Rob Bell's. Okay, these aren't people denying core tenets. You know, Todd likes to talk about what's in our closed hand. They're not denying the closed tenets of orthodoxy. In fact, you know, they're pretty adamant about holding on to those things. I'd put the Gospel Coalition in this group, people like that. Think that's fair, Aaron? Yep. Okay, because Aaron, Aaron's, Aaron's following this much more than I am and has been. And it's it's because um, he still doesn't mind losing friends. So I've I've I've, I've got other all kinds of other nope. things to alienate you with my takes on. I've got all kinds of other things, and I just decided I I just you know, God bless Allie Stuckey. She's like disintegrating these people daily. Okay. Um, but there's a there's a group of theological orthodox individuals within evangelicalism that I believe began with the right concern. And it is a concern I have aired on this show in the past, have continued to address. We have a next generation problem. That that cannot be denied. And not all of it. And I have no idea what percentage of it is because of this. But, But some percentage is as a result of our political hackery. Is that fair, Aaron? Yeah. All right. 
Yeah, you, you know, I, probably a big percentage. What 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 lands a Robert Jeffress, a, you know, a, a, a prime spot on every Fox News primetime show? You know, just every one of those bookings when he goes on there and makes and be clowns himself for the Republican Party and or Trump or whatever. Just go ahead as a as a ratio and just say, all right, that's ten millennials that won't be at an evangelical church this Sunday. Think that's a fair assessment? Sure. It just that, that's that's the that's the ROI. That's the that's the point of diminishing returns. We're 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 literally just driving those people away. Now, some of it is, um, you know, the, here's the main reason millennials aren't coming to our churches. Y'all don't want to be told you're sinners. So let's just stop there and let that simmer. The main reason you guys don't come is the same reason I didn't come. And it's really the same reason everybody hasn't come for the last 2,000 years. The number one reason. And then it's space bar, space bar, space bar. Any other reasons after that is y'all don't want to be told you're sinners. You don't want to repent. That's why you don't come. So I think that needs to be addressed, number one. You don't want to be told you have to repent. That's why you don't come. Everything else that you provide is why you don't show up. Those are all excuses. Robert Jeffers is an excuse. Trump's an excuse. Everything's an excuse. There's one reason, only one reason. You don't want to have to repent. You don't want to be called to repentance. That's why. You don't ever lose, you don't ever lose your accountability to your maker because of what some fool did on a cable news show that almost no one's watching last night. That's not how this thing works, okay? Number one reason the next generation doesn't come is they don't want to repent. That's the same reason, like I've said, I've said on this show for years, Rick Warden didn't have to take a poll to find out why people didn't come to church in Saddleback, California. Because it's the same reason then too. Well, I don't, I don't want to stop sinning. That's why I don't come. <laughs> That's why I don't come. I like it. All right. Anybody want to disagree with me on that first point? No. No. Now though, as we apply the double-edged sword the other way, and, and now we alienate all of you and the older generations who just cheered what I said. Now is when we will alienate you. Because that does not mean, however, that we have no responsibility whatsoever to the witness that we show and demonstrate. Because often, what can convince somebody that ours is a God worthy of repenting to is how they see the change in his people after they've repented. Is that fair? Oh, more than fair. The the best letters that you get uh, from our listeners all have to do with that. You just shared one with us uh, sure. yesterday. I mean, they're amazing. So when we go on, so, so it, it works a little bit like this. When we go on these shows and make a clown out of ourselves for politicians... It's like we are, we're, we're telling people, we're reinforcing what their flesh already wants to do. Like we're more cowbell to the flesh, to the voice in the other ear telling them, you don't want it. Those people aren't worth it. Like they're terrible. You're more enlightened than them. You're nicer than them. That's, that's, what, that's what you become when, when, you, when you join their churches. When you worship their God, you become like that clown. You don't want to do that. You feed their egos. You feed their rebellion. Feed them false objections. Yes. You help them come up with false objections so they don't have to confront the real truth. 
which is, I don't want to repent. I don't. My boyfriend's hot. My girlfriend's hot. So is hell. And it's hotter. We've spent, I don't know, and this act continues, just because, I want you to know, just because we don't constantly bring it up and pounce, doesn't mean we have it. We have we aren't aware of it. I, I just you know how many more times can I tell you? Can I point out to you these examples? Name me a platform in the United States of America broadcasting to a mainstream audience that has confronted these terrible examples more than this show has the last few years. Name me one. Name me one. I'll wait. But I think it's time now to maybe turn the other cheek here because what's emerging. I mean, if we're going to go on cable news shows and say, um, well, you know, Trump at least didn't rape anybody like JFK. Well, you know, when a guy um, um, is, is, is tagging a porn star while his wife's nursing their son, that's between them and their kid or their, that's, that's between them. And when Pete Buttigieg is, is, is gay, you know, and, and well, that's even worse. I mean, we all we all agree these are all clown shows. We're not do do we all agree this yeah. is all a clown show? We all yes. agree on this? Oh yeah. Okay. You know, there's another commandment though. Don't bear false witness. Now a lot of people like they conflate don't kill with don't murder. The commandment is not to it doesn't say do not kill. It says do not murder. The conflation of lying is actually the don't bear false witness. And when one of the most recognized, in fact, let me stop that point and just ask this question instead. If there were key evangelical figures in America pushing white supremacy, what would be the lead story on every CNN program today? That. That. Would there be any other story? No other no. story. This would be their next Malaysian airliner. It would be all of their programming every single night. What would be every single show on MSNBC? That. That. What would be every single column in the New York Times and Washington Post op-ed pages? That. that. Told you so. What would be the view tomorrow, the next day, the day after, and the day after that? What would the view girls be talking about? That. So you mean to tell me? That evangelicals are pushing the gospel as a means to rationalize white supremacy. And somehow, Beth Moore knows. And all of the media entities who are just looking to besmirch our character and crush whatever is left of our witness in this culture all missed out on it. You buying that? No. Neither am I. Which is why I asked her. Now, there's a follow-up tweet to that one where she says, the, the examples are all around us, she says. And I just calmly asked her, give me one. I don't have a platform as big as Beth Moore's. But in terms of a mainstream platform that speaks to a broad audience, people of various religious perspectives listen to this show every day. This would be one of the largest platforms in the country that speaks from an evangelical perspective with the main host and two other evangelicals around the country. You think that's fair? Yeah. And I think I can speak for every show. I'll, Chad Prather, I've not even met him yet. I know I can speak for Glenn. I, th I think I can speak for every show on this network. Every last one. 
that if we, because there's a lot of evangelicals that work here with us, by the way, if we have, if there are examples of evangel- key lay leaders and no, no, Johnny come lately, one comment dude in your Twitter account who says, well, the Bible supports white supremacy. No, Beth, that's not an example. You have to understand the platform you have. You are the face of women's ministry in the largest Protestant denomination in this country. And if we're going to cast pearls unto swine, we're going to paint the bread. You know, the, the scriptures are very clear to hold one another accountable higher than we hold the world. It also says to also be more generous and kind to one another as well. Never give up doing good, especially, Paul writes in Galatians, when it comes to the brethren. If we're going to sit here and paint with a broad brush in front of the enemy and our enemies, we dang well better have some examples with a charge like that in the culture we live in today. Now, I asked this woman yesterday, twice again today, we asked to have her on the show. We literally told her, did we not, Todd? Literally, pick any day ever, yep. ever. Pick any day ever. And if there are examples of people using the gospel to promote white supremacy, we will use the full... I don't have to talk to Tyler. Ga- I know we will. I just know because I know the people we work with and for. We will use we will use the full power of this battle station at the blaze to rebuke it, single them out, and make sure the the culture knows that's not us. Did we not offer her any day? Yes. What did they tell us? We will politely decline. Why? Why would you do that? Why would you not give us examples? Seems like a pretty pretty big issue. Yeah. Like I, like everything else going on in the world, the border, everything. I said to Aaron yesterday, hey, plan tomorrow. We're going to make this the number one thing we're going to open the show with. Because all those other things are worldly problems. If we have this systemic of a character issue in the church, and particularly in the culture and era in which we live now, And it's at the point that one of the leading faces of American evangelicalism uses her platform and perch to call it out. We better address it. But I can't address it without any examples. What are the examples of this? It's like the priest abuse scandal. You got to ruin them out. No doubt. No doubt. So show me. Give me the key. Who are the key lay leaders? Who are the congregations in the, who are the congregation heads? Who within the Southern Baptist Convention hierarchy is doing this? Or in any orthodox, small o, orthodox Christian denomination or sect, who is doing this? Anywhere. Name me. Because I have a hard time, Beth, believing you know this and CNN somehow missed this. MSNBC somehow missed this. The Young Turks somehow missed this. All of the leading atheist feeds on Twitter and, and all of the leading atheist uh, websites and Facebook pages somehow missed this. I, I mean, I, I work in media every single day. I don't have a platform as big as you do, Beth, but I probably am more informed than you are because that's my job. If there were anybody of any reputation, respect, audience, title, station within the church today, using the gospel to defend white supremacy, I cannot believe it is possible we would not know about it. 
in the industry in which I would work in, that they would not be called out. But I, I want to give you the benefit of the doubt because you've been a huge blessing to people I know, millions of people all over the world. Show us. Where are these examples? Because if we're going to risk painting the brethren with a platform the size of yours and besmirching our character with such a broad brush, we dang well better have some with a charge like that. So, come now. Come now, Beth. Let us reason together. Where are these examples of people whose opinions are taken seriously, who matter, who, who are part of or represent a large sect of folks claiming to be Christians? Where are they? Where are those using the gospel to defend white supremacy? You tell me that there's all these examples all over us, all around us. Show me one. Show any of us one. If you don't want to come on our show, I'm the, if I'm not big enough for you or I'm not nice enough for you, then go on another show and give them the examples. I'll wait. Millions of Americans nowadays are living with uh, chronic pain. That's pain produced by inflammation. Uh, people are spending thousands of dollars a year on heating pads, uh, you know, uh, pain relief creams, etc. I think a lot of people have just kind of decided I'm just going to have to just live with this, you know, from this time forward. Now, let's make a, a distinction here. Inflammation's not an injury. If you have an injury, you know, go consult a physician and get that, uh, you know, healed and fixed if possible. But if you have inflammation, there is something you can do about it, and. There's actually a, a new product out that was created by physicians. It's called Relief Factor. It's 100% drug-free. And this is something that uh, tons of people here at The Blaze have been using and, and seeing amazing results with. And it's got four key ingredients that are devised to help your body win the fight against inflammation uh, that's causing that chronic pain. And you can try it right now with what they call a starter pack. They offer this because what they found when they began offering this is the amount of people who would then sign up permanently because of the results they were seeing was pretty high. So they've just kind of stuck with this starter pack idea. That's just a dollar a day, 20 bucks for three weeks just to see, hey, is are you beginning to see relief from that inflammation and that chronic pain? If you want to give this a shot, what do you got to lose? Except maybe, hopefully, finally the pain. Relieffactor.com is the website. Relieffactor.com. I want to say one more quick thing about what I just talked about before we transition uh, to three non-political questions and lighten the mood here a little bit. If you are in this group of people with Beth Moore and others, and you are altering, if you are altering your message because of this president or any other political mood or climate in the country, you are every bit as guilty of those who are altering their message in support of that which you're against. In fact, you're not doing the antidote to them. You're doing the same thing they are. You're, you're tails 
They're heads. They're two sides of the same coin. Let me, let me make this very simple. Far be it for me to you know, tell Beth Moore with all of her book sales, all of her TV appearances, and all of her sold out arenas all over the world. I'm just here in Des Moines. But let me make this very simple. If you're concerned that people are departing the gospel because of political partisanship, do you know what the antidote to that is? The gospel. Just preach the gospel in season and out of season. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? Question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. Back here with three non-political questions from our good friend Aaron. An attempt for us to take a much-needed, if not deserved, break from politics each and every week, if only for a few minutes here on The Blaze. First question, and I know this week we're kind of celebrating all things Marvel, but I want to get back to something. I wrote this question a few weeks ago when the uh, first trailer for the Joker, the new Joker movie, is coming out. Let's say DC hired you. DC Comics hired you to develop and write the backstory for the Joker. Can you describe in detail uh, some of the meta narratives you would include in the backstory of the Joker? Um, I would, I you know, I'd allude to uh, his past. Yeah, I mean, there's there's actually been more about his history than we have been than than most people believe. I mean. Uh, his connection as the original Red Hood in the original Red Hood gang. Uh, the, the Batman dropped into the vat of chemicals that Axis chemicals, like you see in the 1989 Batman movie with Jack Nicholson. That's a reference to that. Uh, the failed stand-up comedian. That there, It looks like they're alluding to that in the trailer to the Joker. I mean, a, a lot of the stuff that you see in that movie trailer has been in the comics. We just haven't seen a name, really. That I'm aware of. And maybe with the new 52 that began back in 2011, 2012, and they rebooted it, everything. Maybe they did finally give him a name. But I love actually the approach that they're taking with the character. I love the idea that they're kind of painting him as a failed, uh, cynical, nihilistic uh, uh, revolutionary um, and, and, and failed comedian. Um, I think that's exactly what would cause the kind of breaking point that would uh, create a caricature like the Joker. My only concerns about the movie are, um, is it connected to the wider? Because the, there's talk that this is its own separate entity. And I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't understand that. I mean, why, why tell a story of the titular villain of your universe that's, especially an origin story, that's outside of your actual universe? Now, that hasn't been confirmed, so I don't know. But I, I would actually use a lot of the themes that we've been seeing in the, in the trailers, Todd. Uh, well, to go back to what you were saying uh, just previous about um, preach the gospel inside and out, uh, you know, the, the, the greatest themes of the greatest stories ultimately do uh, come from there. You said as much in uh, what we saw out of uh, Endgame. I think here it would be, fa- and you've also said that uh, Heath Ledger's Joker is basically uh, the devil. 
to to talk about that fall of grace, the the fall of a pride of at one, um, thinking you have the best way, and originally um, genuinely wanting something in the way of uh, a level of worship that we all aspire to, but pride ultimately derails you. The same is true very early uh, in Scripture, the story of Cain and Abel, uh, an offering. Uh, but an offering that you wanted to give instead of perhaps the one uh, that God uh, that God's heart uh, wanted the most, and you resent that fact. Um, that often is, you know, when you said just you don't want to accept that He's God and you're not, mm-hmm. kind of thing. I think there's a lot to be said there, and it's said it's been said before, but it's why we want to keep coming back and seeing it again because it speaks ultimately to us. Was there a specific answer you were looking for in asking that question? No, Aaron. I just want to know what you okay. were. I just want to know what you were thinking. I, I think I think the trailer is very effective and yeah. is on the right track. It's a yeah. great trailer. Yeah, it is. Um, I think the the thing that I would probably do uh, because as far as Batman goes, um, as far as the as I, I'm sorry, as far as the Joker goes, uh, I would actually tell every possible backstory to illustrate that the Joker is not necessarily and is not really a person. And I, I may be um, taking a poop over all of the uh, all of uh, over all of the, you know, the backstory and all uh, all over this universe. But I would actually try to illustrate that the Joker is a force. The Joker is legion. People like him are legion. And so I would just use instead of using him as a character, as a singular character, I would just illustrate him as something like Hydra, essentially you know, he is everywhere at the same time, essentially, uh, something like that. Do I you, that did you great. watch Gotham at all? No. That's exactly what they did. Really? As they introduced him and, you know, it, basically Goth, Gotham, if you remember the series Smallville, it was on for like 10 years and it was really well done. And then they really disappointed with the final episode because Tom Welling didn't want to put on the Superman suit because he was afraid once he did, he would like be typecast, never work again. And then you're like, what's he done ever since? Okay. So they CGI'd it and, you know, half rear ended it. But this is essentially Batman's Smallville. The, the you know, the origins of a lot of the villains and the mythos of, of the of the, the the zeitgeist of Gotham that prompts a Bruce Wayne to become uh the the cape and cowled vigilante. And the way that they introduced the Joker in the series uh is they introduced him exactly like you just described. Like there's a, he's essentially a spirit of the age, a force of nature. And then ultimately at the end of the show, one individual ends up inhabiting that character. But that is originally how he was introduced is exactly what you just hmm. suggested. That is interesting. Um, second question. If uh, what individual athletic accomplishment that's never been done before, do you think you could plausibly see in your lifetime? You want to take that one? <laughs> Thanks. Uh, wow. I, individual accomplishment never happened before in our lifetime. Uh, well, no, I just thought of a team accomplishment. I'm just trying to buy you time. This, this, thank you. Uh, is this, a, this is an individual thing <laughs> yeah, you said, yeah. right? Well, I, I got to start with things that I think are unbreakable and work my way down from there right. and think out loud. Uh, we'll never see... I, I don't think we're going to see Cal Ripken's player play game played streak yeah. broken. Um, I do think it's possible we could see a 400 hitter. I think that is possible. I think it's possible we could see a 56 game hitting streak. I, I wouldn't say impossible. It's unlikely. 
You know, I mean, that's, you know, going on 70 years ago. But I think those aren't things that I think if if we can see a triple crown winner in baseball, then I think we could see a 56 game winning streak or a 400 hitter. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I, I, so you're asking me what we could see then? What we could see. I, I would, I would plausibly say we could see a 400 hitter. I think it's possible we could see a 56 game hitting streak. Um, and here's the thing why I'm focusing on baseball is a lot of the rest of the sports, the individual achievements are noted when they happen at the time, but they're not as timeless as they are in baseball. There's a unique, uh, there's a unique culture surrounding baseball where the pursuit of individual excellence is, is part of the, of, of the mythos as much as the quest to win the world series. That's why we, these, so many of these records that we know, um, so many of them are iconic. You know, I never thought we'd see a guy average a triple double for a season. You know, that was the that was always the unattainable stat in the NBA. Oscar Robertson did it. We've seen Russell Westbrook do it. What now? Three years in a row, or two of the last three years, or something like that. So, um, I do think I, I think Cal Ripken's games played streak will never happen. Cy Young's win record will never okay. be approached. I do think we could see a 56 game hitting streak. I'm more confident we could see a 400 hitter. Um, I don't think Barry Sanders' single season rush record in college football will ever be broken. Uh, you know, that's 2,800 yards in 12 games. Although now, you know, with more playoff games, maybe it's possible. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with the. I think we'll see a 400 hitter. I think we'll see that. Uh, I in lifetime. I, I, I Pete Rose's record. I think. You think someone will break the break forty-one the, the hits record? The yeah. hits record. It's forty-one. It's is it well forty-one ninety-two was the record that he set, but he had more hits after that. So I don't know what the exact number is, but I, I could see that too, with today's, um, longevity, and and strength and conditioning, where someone has a long enough career and a DH, to stick around and break that record. I could see that potentially happening. Sure. I think this one's easy in the NFL. Um, you're going to see over. I think you're going to see Peyton Manning's uh, touchdown record broken multiple times. I think we could see well above 55. I think is the record now. Yeah, 50. I, you could see well above yeah. Uh, 55. In yeah, the, in the near future. I I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, final question: uh, If you could ghostwrite, and I'm saying this very, uh, I'm choosing my words very carefully here. If you could ghostwrite the autobiography for anyone. Living right now, who would you choose and why? So ghostwriting the autobiography. So it's like somebody wrote it, but they're actually hiring you to write it for them. So you have to interview them, spend a lot of time with them, getting to know their life story and some things you probably didn't want to know about them. Who would you choose right now? That's a really good question. I am going to make you answer this one first, Todd. Go. Um, how about Pope Francis? That was I, I had contemplated that being my answer. If if only to get to if if only to find out who yeah, yeah. he really is yeah. once and for all. Yeah. Right? Is he Yeah. That's, is he just bad at this or is it more nefarious? Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. I see what you did there. Uh that's that 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 was, you know, one of the first names that came to my mind when uh when you mentioned it. You know what? Um, I'm going to go... Boy, this this is a good question. I'm going to say Rush Limbaugh. 
And I'm going to say Rush Limbaugh because on one hand, none of us in this industry, not a single one of us here at The Blaze or anywhere else would have our jobs without what he did. There are few people on earth alive today that can say they trailblazed industries, that industries would not exist if it weren't for them. And uh, and he's one of them. I don't think there's any question about that. This thing we call conservative media was essentially William F. Buckley against the world and uh, the, the op-ed page of the Washington Times. Uh, I mean, that was, a and human events, that was about it until Rush came along. But I, I'd also, you know, his own personal history. And can you only imagine because of the prominence of his platform, can you only imagine how many bodies he knows where they're buried? Can you only imagine? And much as you talked about interviewing Francis would get answers to some of your questions. And that's sort of a setting where nothing was off limits. And this would, as someone who has wondered, where did we go off the rails as a movement, as an industry? Where did these transitions and stuff take place? I, I don't know that anybody probably is more experienced or more privy to those moments from the inside than he is. And, and, and it might connect a lot of those dots for me at the same time. Because this has been my life's work. I've spent most of my adult life now, uh, or as, a, as a professional, most of my broadcasting life now, I've done this much longer than I ever did sports. And so, and it looks like I'll be doing this in the foreseeable future. And I'd, I'd, I'd like to see some of those dots connected, Aaron. I would choose Al Stewart. Um, Gosh. You want to know the where the genius for genius. Year of the Cat came from? That is the Year of the Cat. Go And I get to spend a lot of time in Scotland, which I think would be fun because he's from Scotland. That's where he resides now, as I understand. You and I over here having like this seriously um, introspective conversation and thinking about it. And just how, how, how did you actually come up with those words? And, and how did Year you come cat? up? Yeah. How did yeah. you come up with all those words? How did you come up with the tune? I mean, the, those are questions. I mean, guys. When did, when did you know this was transcendent? Yes, yeah. Exactly. Uh, and like what what in his life to that point actually precipitated him writing that song? Um, yeah, that's that's who I would choose. We had pretty much kept this year the cat thing tamped down since we came over to the yeah, blaze. Yes. And now here we I are. I don't think I've I've heard a single year of the cat yeah. reference since 2017. And now actually. everybody's wondering what the hell. Yes. Where and did so this, are we? Yeah, yes. Yeah. In fact, I, I might need that picture of Nancy Pelosi again just to make me right. But uh um, I don't know what else to say other than, um, don't bother asking for explanation. Yeah. Thank you. She'll just tell you, tell you that she came in the year of the cat. <sighs> Millennials. Hey, imagine being evicted from your own home for not paying home equity loans that you actually never bothered to take out. That's exactly what happened to a Portland couple recently. And any of us could be the next victim. The crime is called home title fraud. Uh, you know, just a year ago, I had no idea what it was or even how common it was. Uh, but the crime has consequences that could be devastating. Home titles, mortgages kept online now where criminals hunt for them. Uh, they forge your name, take off or take you off of your home's title and then liquidate what will be for most Americans the, the most valuable investment they'll ever have, their own home. 
Um, if you don't want this to happen to you, you need to rely on home title lock. Uh, they will put a virtual barrier around your home's title for just pennies a day. And you unfortunately may already be a victim. You can find out now for free. Now these uh, title scans uh, and the report that goes with it are normally about $100, but they're giving them away free today. If you go online to hometitlelock.com, that's hometitlelock.com. You've got nothing to lose. It's free just to go there. Find out if your home's title has already been tampered with. Um, if it's vulnerable, if it's been targeted, just go to hometitlelock.com. Protect the most valuable investment that the average American will ever have with hometitlelock.com. All right, we're going to come back here for hour number two. I'm going to go smack Aaron around a little bit for dragging Year of the Cat back into the, uh, the, the, the show nomenclature. And then we'll come back. And, uh, and OSHA won't convict me. In fact, they'll thank me for that. Uh, we'll come back. Uh, Evan Sayet's going to join us to talk about uh, climate change, hysteria, and Theology Thursday coming your way with Hour 2. Stay tuned. All right, we are back with Hour 2, live and on demand on The Blaze. Steve Dace here alongside Todd and Aaron. 888-900-3393 is the number here to the program. 888-900-3393. If you want to let us know what you think about uh, what we think, you can also email the program, steve at stevedace.com. That's the email address. Like us on Facebook. Who doesn't like us? You need to like us there a lot, okay, because they don't like to count our likes. Unless we just know other people like us. It, it is also possible. We have had no other people like us in the last two years. That is also possible. Unlikely. I got to believe at least one other person likes us, but apparently not according to Facebook. But give it a shot. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. For those of you listening today via Blaze Radio or on the podcast that don't have that handy little graphics package in front of you, the last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. And if you are listening to us today via podcast, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star review, we would greatly appreciate that on the podcasting platform of your choice there where it says, hey, how many stars? Just give us five. You can even write some nice words if you want. It makes us feel better about ourselves because, you know, we are really uh, low self-esteemed people around here. Uh, those of you that have already done that for us, thousands of you have, thank you very much. Um, we talk a lot about, in fact, we just did, shadow bannings, things of that nature that go on. I got an email from a conservative author yesterday concerned about the subject matter of his book and trying to promote it on social media. Will they get him set shadow banned? This is becoming more and more prevalent nowadays. Um, I've, I've mentioned to my buddy, uh, Bob Vanderplatz, who we have on on Mondays. Uh, he tweeted something out today and I'm like, you know, you got a, you know, like 11,000 Twitter followers. You have more than enough of a following to go get you a blue check mark. He goes, I, I've tried. They won't give me one. So, I mean, we're, we're seeing more and more of this and, and we're having to ask questions like, where should I spend my money? Particularly if you're going to then take the money I spend with you and uh, use it to fund causes that, you know, want to limit my constitutional freedoms. Well, one of the products that pretty much all of us have to use nowadays is a mobile phone. And if you look at the commercials, the mobile phone companies are now running against each other. They're openly admitting their networks are pretty much the same. There's like a 1% difference or something. There's only a few of these networks. So the only thing that sets them apart is where they spend your money once you spend it with them. And that's where our friends at Patriot Mobile come in. Uh, it's the only conservative veteran-led mobile phone company. And you can get the same reliable nationwide service you already have 
But in this in this case, you'll know your hard-earned money is being spent on organizations and causes that you support, like PragerU, Alliance Defending Freedom, and more. And for only $25 a month, uh, that's they got plans starting that low, 25 bucks a month. Why wait? Call 1-800-A-PATRIOT. That's 1-800-A-PATRIOT. And use the code BLAZE when you call. And if you do, they'll waive your activation fee or you can just online right now if you're listening to us online. Uh, just open up another window and go to patriotmobile.com slash blaze. patriotmobile.com slash blaze. Same exact thing. They'll waive your activation fee. Get that started. Do we have him? We do not. Let's do Theology Thursday. All right. So we are going to go with Theology Thursday as well. We will try to reschedule Evan Say It. It's one of those days where the internet uh, doesn't want to make the proper connection. So we apologize to those of you that are looking forward to him ripping on the uh, global warming hysteria. Isn't that their number one issue in polling this week? Yes, it is. I haven't seen the numbers. Is it like, is it like you know, 14% and another issue is 12? Or is it like way number one? Do you know? Did you I look? I don't know. Because I, I just saw the headline, uh, you know, that was trending. That uh, there's a poll out that shows global warming is the number one issue amongst registered Democrats. And I, I just, what do you do with that? What what? I, how do you? How do you share culture and civilization with people like that? They just have a totally different forget but, forget principles like holistic view of planet Earth than you do. How do you set all that aside and say, "Hey, let's cash the check"? How do you do that? Why do you hate science, Steve? <laughs> yeah, that's my point. Who was it earlier this year that did a show on this and then ref- and then admitted they weren't going to have anybody on that had a, a contrarian point of view? There was some major media figure did this. Yeah, it was, that Chuck, was Todd. Chuck Todd. Yeah. Chuck Todd on Meet the Press, they did a special show on this and said that, uh, I mean, because that's uh, diversity. Nothing says diversity like we don't allow any contrarian viewpoints, which would be the very definition of, uh, of diversity. So, Well, this is at some point, you altered definitions of reality. You, you can't just share a space. You, you, uh, you have got to ultimately decide which one is going to win over. I'm not exactly sure when that's going to happen or which one it's going to be, but there's enough of them now that, I mean, and I would have thought five years ago that what a man and what a woman is would have been that, but not yet. But sooner or later, it's just they can't coexist. No. No, when you, when you are having fundamental, not even moral issues now, but because you can you can you can do marriages of convenience and overlook certain moral issues when uh, the money's good, the money's right, right? But when when you guys can't even agree on the fundamental notion of existence itself, I, I don't know how that marriage is saved. I don't know how you live with people like that. Because sooner or later, well, here's what's going to happen. Here's why: sooner or later, one of them is going to so believe. And then in either you could, in some cases, it'll be the superiority and others, it will be the necessity. They are so going to believe in the, in either and, or the superiority and, or the necessity of that, of their particular view that they're going to say, 
because I know this is so right. We can't ignore this anymore. We have to address this. And, and I can't share a world with you if you don't want to address it with me. Right? Yeah. Sooner or later. And I think we have reached that point. And in, in, in some respects, I, I wish it would have been our, us that would have reached that point. Not that we would have become so little tyrants. I think it's really difficult if you're really a conservative, if you're really a libertarian, if you really understand the history of, um, of, of the Judeo-Christian belief and the way that it's interacted with this world for 6,000 years, it's really difficult to become a tyrant if you stay true to that. That I'm not saying people claiming those mantles have not turned out to be tyrants in history. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, though, if you are sincere about those things, it's really difficult to become a tyrant. Because what you're trying to conserve, the liberty that you're a libertarian for, the way that the, the way God interacts throughout the Judeo-Christian storyline with his creation is anathema to, to, to oppression. It's, the, it's anathema to all of that. So I wish, though, that we would have had the conviction to say when we had the numbers and the advantages, not to be little tyrants, but to steer the culture away from the very place that it's at right now. But we didn't. And nature abhors a vacuum. So now the other side of the equation is going to push, uh, is going to push us to the edge. But they come from a vantage point that has no, really no intolerance to or antidote away from or resistance from tyranny. It's actually part and parcel with it. And I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what you do when one person says you can live your faith freely in the public square if you don't agree with me and the other person says, well, you can't. I don't, where's the 50-50 there? Do you know? Do you know where the 80-20 is? That's Hell, the new do you know, do you know where, do you know where the 20-80 is? Do you know where the 20-80 is? I mean, at least the Muslims offered you the jizya. You pay a tax and still pretend you're free. Tell me if it's this or nothing. Yeah. If it's we slit your throat or you do it for us. Tell me where the you know where the commonality is there. Where, where do we arrive at that? Do you think? And that's why, while you keep saying and rightly so, we need to by choice say no now before we are forced in these moments mm -hmm. to say no it won't be a choice it'll be uh, a survival instinct at that point mm -hmm. all right let's get to theology thursday so this week here's what we're going to do we had a, we did this we're going to do something similar that we did with a listener who didn't understand why we weren't as team gop as him do you think that's a yep fair char characterization because i don't want to you know straw man him either and we told him hey you send aaron questions and I won't know the questions in advance. Aaron will just put them up on screen and, and hit, me, hit me cold with them. And I'll answer any five questions you have about the issues you disagree with us on. 
Well, in response to this, we had a student at Liberty University, which is the largest evangelical institution on the earth, I think, at the moment. In fact, full disclosure, my wife is uh, is getting one of her uh, doctorates there uh, right now as we speak. And he describes himself, it's a Christian anarchist, correct? I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to read his exact words okay. uh, when I kind of set this up. So he's a fan of our show yep. and has, has and re- seems to respect our unwillingness to go along with tribalism and whataboutism, right? But he has a solution that he, that he and, 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 and I just told him, hey, you send Aaron the questions. Just like we did with this previous gentleman, I don't know what he sent you. I'm going to find out for the first time when the audience does. And we're going to sit here on Theology Thursday and tackle him as best we can. Uh, and like I said, uh, this uh, fellow is a student at Liberty. His name is Grant. I'm going to read uh, what he originally sent me as kind of uh, some context for the, qu- the questions. Uh, he says, hey, hey, Aaron, my name is Grant. I'm a student at Liberty University and a regular listener to the show. You guys often mention how you have a hard time getting people with different views than you on the show. And while I am not uh, a leftist, I am an anarchist and an Anabaptist slash progressive Christian. I think both you and your audience would be interested to hear how I came to these views when I started out as a conservative evangelical Christian. I think we could have a very interesting, productive conversation as I hold Steve and the rest of you in high regard. I'm respectful of your views, and I seek to ask you guys some questions. Uh, And he says, hope to hear from you soon. So I say, yep, uh, send me five questions, and we'll answer them sometime. And this is question number one from Grant, who describes himself as an anarchist and an Anabaptist slash progressive Christian. Number one, you, Steve, and Todd all hold to theological position of total depravity and use James Madison's Federalist quote as an example of why the depravity of man necessitates the state. What if Madison got it backwards? If man is totally depraved, wouldn't giving the men in the state a monopoly on the use of force be the worst thing that we could do? Wouldn't those in the state just try to accumulate more power and abuse that power? You by no means, uh, let's see. So, yeah, that's the first question. Why give people in government basically a monopoly on the power if total depravity is true? Uh, your question is flawed, Grant. In our form of government, we did not give uh, total power to government. For example, the very the, the Second Amendment to the U.S. Constitution guarantees what? The right to bear arms. The right to bear arms. Why were you given that right? To fight the government if need be. Yeah, in case the government decides it has absolute power, now you can fight back. You know, we had in our montage today that clip that Aaron played where MSNBC accidentally <laughs> told the truth about why the Second Amendment is there when they said, hey, uh, these poor Venezuelans are trying to fight back against this oppressive government, but they don't have any guns. The government uh, ended private gun ownership, what was it, seven or eight years ago. So they're on their own down here and they're getting run over, literally, literally run over in the streets. Yeah. So right away, Grant, your question has a flawed premise. You're asserting that the government is all powerful. It is not. Uh, the U.S. Constitution was devised with a unique paradigm in all of human history. Uh, we have had we had had other you know governing pacts, the Code of Hammurabi, uh, the Mayflower Compact. Um, there's been several of these throughout the course of history, but they were always done with the intent of demonstrating the government's power and authority. In the case of the Constitution, it was the very first time that such a document was devised to limit 
the government's power and authority. That's why there's 18 enumerated powers, for example. That's why it is so difficult to amend it. That's why it's so difficult uh, to, to have radicalization of the government. This was all done in recognition of both history, but also what history has to say about human nature. In other words, to insulate us from what we are capable of doing ourselves, which history has demonstrated for thousands and thousands of years. So we don't have an all-powerful government. Um, we, we have a too-powerful government. We don't have an all-powerful government now. Okay, And I know sometimes we get carried away using that kind of language in conservative media. But as long as you have the ability to go, let me say to my conservative brethren, what we often say to our friends on the left, when they use this sort of, you know, um, uh, radicalized language. And radicalized language is fine if it's necessary. But um, Trump, here's how you know Donald Trump's not a fascist. The fact that you can stand outside and publicly say so. The fact that you can go on national television and say so. All right. When your leader's a fascist, you don't get to call him that in those kinds of settings. Secondly, uh, but similarly, we don't have an all-powerful government. How do we know? Because you right now can go buy a weapon and defend yourself from your government. All-powerful governments don't permit such things. You can go buy a Bible. All-powerful governments don't, don't, uh, don't permit such things. We have a too-powerful government, okay? We have a too-powerful government. And the reason we have a too-powerful government, Grant, ironically, do you want to know what the answer is, Grant? Do you really want to know? I don't know if you want to know. <laughs> I don't know if you're ready for the answer, Grant. Do you want to know why we have a too-powerful government? You sure? Okay. The reason, Grant, the reason why when people have asked me, hey, if you could, if you could moderate a debate of political candidates. Steve, what would you ask them? I think you guys have heard me answer this question before. And I've often answered, is human nature basically good? Because that's your window to the soul right there. See, Grant, the reason we have a too powerful government is because we have accepted the view of human nature that you claim. We've accepted the progressive view of human nature. That human nature is not fundamentally fallen, is not bad. And you don't have to, by the way, you know, we use the term total depravity, sometimes half jokingly. I mean, that's, that's one letter in the tulip I 100% believe, okay? But you can have, you don't have to go to the links of total depravity to have an orthodox view of human nature and why we all need to repent in order to have, you know, in, in, in front of our Savior, but you as a progressive already are in danger of rejecting one of the key doctrines of, of Christianity. That all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That none would choose him. That all of our righteousness is like filthy rags in his sight. So I'm not the one that has to, as someone who believes in the original founding view of the country, as someone who believes and as a dim view of human, I have a high view of human worth, a very high view, a very dim view of human nature, if that makes sense. So for me, who believes, has a dim view of human nature and therefore believes in limited government, meaning we have to have something that polices us, but we can't give it too much power. Otherwise, it's prone to uh, act on its own fallen nature and use it against us. I'm not the one who has to answer your question, Grant. You are. 
if you believe in a if if you believe in the progressive viewpoint, you're the one that has to answer the question. You just phrase it the wrong way, which is if human nature here's the real question, Grant. If human nature is basically good, then how come we don't get better with more government? How come we don't get better the more we centralize things? How come we don't get better the more we consolidate things? How come the more we duopolize things, monopolize things? How come the more we, from the time of Babel to now, how come the more often we centralize almost any human endeavor, it gets worse after that? Why? Why? It would seem it would get better, but it almost always gets worse. Was it easier dealing with your local bank than the centralized bankers, for example? What was easier? I mean, you could do this with virtually anything. I mean, if human nature is not depraved, then how come we don't get better the more we do what you guys, Grant, want us to do? How come things only seemingly get worse? And just in fairness to Grant, he, he never really explicitly, explicitly states that he thinks human nature is good. But I think his point is, if human nature is bad, why, uh, why would we want uh, government or why would we want human nature to have a monopoly on power, which you already addressed? See, I, I disagree with you. He stated himself he's a progressive. If you identify as a progressive, you believe human nature is basically good. All I said is that he didn't explicitly state that. Yes. But. Yeah, but I would say if you're identifying yourself as a progressive, unless you don't know what it believes, and that's possible. We got all kinds of terms thrown around these days, and that's why we define our terms on this show all the time. So and to be fair, Grant, I probably should have asked you, how would you define progressive? Because you may not actually be one. But you, you cannot be a progressive if you don't believe human nature is basically good. You just can't. It's like being a Christian who doesn't believe in the resurrection. It's the, it's the cardinal tenet of progressivism. Human nature is basically good. You can't be one if you don't believe that. Question two, you, Stephen Todd, often note how for progressives, the state and politics is their religion, whereas generally and hopefully Christ is the first priority of conservatives and politics is secondary. Wouldn't it follow and hasn't history shown that conservatives are fighting a war they can't win? Hasn't the state been proven to be a tool of progressive social engineering and a corrupting influence on the church? Has there been any other institution that has done more to undermine the tradition, uh, traditional values and the moral fabric than the state? You are correct in everything that you just said. That's why this is the longest tenured experiment in human freedom ever, ever, because of everything that you just said. All right. And um, the state has always been. I'm starting to wonder why you identify as a progressive at all in the way you framed this question. But the state has always been the enemy of the faith. Always. 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 From, from the Philistines to the Edomites to Nero to, um, you know, uh, nuns have to pay for abortions now. It's always been this way. It's always been the state demands Kaiser Curious. Now, the reason that we avoided this for so long in this country is, number one, we asserted a creed. You know, the Chesterton line, America is the first country that's ever been, that's ever been created or founded on a creed, not on a conquer, but on a creed. And that creed is this, that our rights come from God and not from government. And therefore, government is now accountable just as much to God as are the people. That radical 
paradigm shift. Stopped the state from being an enemy to morality. And actually a tool that could reverse the people's immorality, like what we saw with segregation and the civil rights movement in the past, for example, or slavery. And it's turned now, now that we have abandoned that, now that we've abandoned that our notions come, that our rights come from God, and that we have created an all-powerful state, that is now why the state is becoming more and more an opponent of the faith. Because ultimately, something will have control. Something will have ultimate power. It will be God or it will be government, one or the other. Those of you that don't want to worship God, those of you that don't want to obey God, I would urge you, go back and look at thousands of years of human history when they agreed with you that government decides what's right and wrong and not God. And ask yourself, where in all of human history did you get a better deal in terms of your living conditions than what you had here in this country when we actually believed what you don't want us to believe? Because history is not on your side. You're on the wrong side of history. In this question, Grant has accurately deduced the dilemma here. But progressivism won't solve this dilemma. It's actually helped cause it, and it will only make it worse. Your thoughts, Todd? You look like you want to pounce well, on this Well, there's one. just a fundamental distinction here. Uh, if we keep going down this road, I'd imagine, it's, and since you're using the term anarchist, you're like the the elimination of the state uh, is the goal. That's that's not the problem. The fact that there exists a state is not a problem in and of itself any more than there's a problem that we now have television and internet that smut comes across. It, it, it's the idolatry of the state, not the existence of the state that is the problem. And I think we absolutely have to understand yeah. that because you, but you're, you're saying we need to throw the state down and not replace it with anything. That, that's, that's not a biblical premise. Minus God, we always, there's never been, every government in the history of humankind has been a theocracy. Every last one. It's just been a matter of who's the Theo. Ours was too. It, it just, when, you, when you're saying your rights come from God, Ultimately, who's in charge in, in any form of government? Monarchy, oligarchy. In any form of government, whoever determines what's right and wrong and what rights you do and don't have is who's in charge. All right? So when your politicians are swearing an oath, so help me God, I saw today that Democrats in one of the state, want, I think it's Massachusetts, want to get rid of so help me God from the oath, I would urge them to get about doing it quickly. I would. There's no point. Why, why, why say so help me God and then go out there and act like children of the devil? Yeah, exactly. I mean, let's, let's at least be adults here. I would urge you, by all means, let's not pretend anymore and just get rid of it. I mean, I'm sure that's not their motivation, but it would be the truth nonetheless. We cannot avoid idolatry of state without God. We can't. It's impossible. There's never been, from, from time in memoriam, the state has claimed to be God. You read in the Old Testament events that took place 4,000 years ago, and you see leaders referring to themselves as Baal Peor. What does Baal mean? Well, Baal, in one case, is a direct reference to a, a demonic influence of the Old Testament, a false god of the Old Testament. But what they are saying is they are little lords, little Baals. 
that they have their power from Baal gave me this power to rule over you. And for you, if you defy me, you're really defying Baal. In other words, that I am, I'm the adjunct. I'm the, I'm the emissary of Baal. I have a divine right to rule over you from Baal himself. That's what it means. And it's always worked this way. Always. And then we get to Rome and it just gets more direct where Caesar just eventually says, you know, I don't need Saturn or Jupiter to be my intermediary here. I'm God. <laughs> right? I'm God. You know, and this has always been the way it works. First, the government removes the God and then the government becomes the God. We cannot avoid, it is impossible to avoid idolatry of state without God because we desire to worship something. So if we remove the most powerful force on this earth as our object of worship, we'll just go to the next link in the food chain and we'll come to the second most powerful force uh, for, on earth for us to worship and that will be government. That will be the state. You want to add to that? The God-shaped hole has to be filled one way or the other. Yes. Aaron, your thoughts so far? Yeah, uh, I think these questions just get even more um, interesting as we go. And I'm not saying that in a pejorative way. I think these questions are, uh, at the very least, interesting as we go along. Unfortunately, Evan is uh, supposed to be joining us at the bottom of the hour, so we might have to break this off into a separate Theology Thursday at some point. We'll talk about it. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll reschedule Evan. We'll continue with this conversation. Um, if you are in the market for buying or selling a home this year, try realestateagentsitrust.com. Uh, it was started by Glenn Beck and his associates who were tired of real estate agents who talked a good game, but uh, you know, didn't deliver the desired results when they were called upon the most. Uh, realestateagentsitrust.com is a better way for you to get involved in the real estate market because here's the difference, and it's a big one. When you go to other places that hook you up with, a, with an agent, those are really to help agents find clients. They're really referral services for the agents. Doesn't mean that they're, you know, terrible. It just means, though, that they're not starting from the same premise as real estate agents I trust. They're starting from the premise of you need an agent that is worthy of you. That's what you need. Okay, so if you want to learn more about this, uh, you want to find an agent who understands it's more than an algorithm. You actually have to be kind, considerate, available, has a long track record of success. If you're looking for that kind of real estate agent, uh, check out the website, realestateagentsitrust.com. That's realestateagentsitrust.com. More Theology Thursday. You're next. Back here on the Steve Day Show, if you've got itchy ears, ear pain, or that plugged up feeling, maybe you're constantly asking people to repeat themselves. If any of these problems sound familiar to you, you could be my son. No, I'm sorry. Uh, no, uh, you could be like millions of Americans forced to visit the doctor for a professional ear cleaning, but now you can get the same professional results in the comfort and convenience of your own home. WaxRx is what it's called, and now you can get it without a prescription as well. It uses physician-developed technology that safely and effectively removes earwax buildup and then soothes the ear when it's done, just like what they do there at the doctor's office. And did I mention you can get it without a prescription now too? Uh, you can try it risk-free today. Here's how. Just go to the website. It's usewaxrx. That's all one word. Usewaxrx.com. 
Offer code RADIO at checkout for free shipping. Use WaxRx.com. Offer code RADIO at checkout for free shipping. Use WaxRx.com. All right, let's continue on a Theology Thursday. We're getting our, our questions uh, that we're answering. I think I hear tons of feedback whenever we do stuff like this. I think the audience, if, if we could make it happen that we would just have skeptics and questioners and, and scoffers just line up every day and bring them in for two hours and, you know, pull a Pat Benatar, hit me with your best shot. I think they'd love it if we did stuff like that. But uh, we're taking advantage of one of our listeners, Grant, who's a student at Liberty University, and uh, he is supplying the questions today, Aaron. Yep, and question number three is, you, Steve, and Todd often grouse about the myriad of ways the U.S. government acts unconstitutionally, but I've never heard you go into the next logical step and answer the Lysander Spooner question. Has the Constitution authorized the government that we have had or has it been powerless to prevent it? How can we trust a document that has either granted the state almost limitless power or has been ineffective in preventing the state from accumulating that power? How can we hold the state accountable if it is not even accountable to its founding document? If I had a nickel for every time off air you and I discussed, should we answer the Lysander Spooner or whatever it was <laughs> question today? And we've just demurred. I apologize. Um, that's actually really well worded. Uh, the question's flawed, um, but it's 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 very well worded, uh, smartly worded, I would even say. But it's flawed. Here here's why. The Constitution doesn't guarantee anything, and it doesn't protect anything. It enshrines things. Okay, it, it cannot act on itself. You've you've heard us say in our show, we are not a nation of laws. And we never have been. I think Ben Franklin addressed this, right? Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm talking about, yeah. too, don't you? We, we are a nation of political will and always will be. And this is the famous line from Ben Franklin when asked coming out of the Constitutional Convention. So what did y'all give us in there? And he is said to have said to a woman uh, who asked him this on the street corner, a republic, if you can keep it. Now, even if that never happened, there's some debate about whether that anecdote is true or not. It is still, if, it, if, it, if the instance isn't true, it is still very much philosophically true. Because we have a system predicated on self-government. We don't have a system predicated on constitutional government, guys. Uh, did the people of the United States, what existed first, the Constitution or the people of the United States? The people. Yeah, how do we know that? What's the very first line of the Constitution? We the, we the people. Piece of pay- okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. We the people. In order to form. Form. So he was responsible for the formation of this country. Or what is? Is it the Constitution or is it the people? It is the people. Therefore, who will be responsible for the continuation of this country? Will it be the Constitution or will it be the people? The answer is the same. See, we keep coming back to why, when I have been asked, if I could ask politicians at debates, if I could ask one question, what would it be? And I said, as I said earlier, is human nature basically good? We cannot escape this. We keep coming back to this because it is the mouth of the river. It's the genesis of this story. We abandon this notion that men were sinners because we didn't want to then have to ask the next question that is begged by acknowledging that. Well, if we're sinners, how are we saved? We don't want that. That requires repentance, accountability, none of that. We don't want any of that, okay? So, all of, all of, you, you are correctly, Grant, 
even though your questions are flawed, a lot of the criticisms you're uttering are true. But because your questions are coming from a flawed premise, in my view, you keep missing the target. It is because we have adopted the progressive view that we are guilty of all the infractions that you have currently accused us of in the three questions that have been posed so far. The Constitution cannot act on itself. It is words on a page. In many respects, and I've, I haven't drawn this analogy in, in several years on this show, and this might be the first time our audience since we came over to the blaze last October that many of you have heard me make this analogy in the past. Um, or make this analogy before. What is the foundation of the Christian faith? If you ask a lot of Christians, particularly evangelicals or some variation of Protestant, they're going to say the Bible. If you ask many Catholics what's the foundation of the faith, they're probably going to say the church, right? Yeah. Okay. Both are wrong, by the way. So we found something Catholics and Protestants agree on, that they're both wrong. Or we agree, anyway, that they're both wrong on this. The foundation of the Christian faith is Christ. If Christ be not raised, then your preaching is in vain, and we're all still dead in our sins. If Jesus wasn't raised, if you're sola scriptura, well, there's a reason why when we go through those five creeds of the Reformation, sola scriptura comes after, sola Christos, because if Christ doesn't make his sacrifice at the cross and rise again, then there's some really cool wisdom, and there's some really cool history, and a lot of good morality to live your life by in the Bible. I mean, there's, there's corporations that, that hate the Lord and they use the book of Proverbs to get, you know, sound business and financial advice from it. But essentially the Bible is a life coach book. It's Aesop's fables with life coaching. That's what it is. Unless Christ is raised. Jesus is the foundation of the faith. The scriptures are the clarification or application. Therefore, what kind of people ought we to be in light of that? Right? Similarly, the Constitution is not the foundation of the United States. The Declaration of Independence is. The, the, the Constitution is the clarification and application of the vision that is articulated in the Declaration of Independence. If you want to know why you've abandoned the Constitution in your time, Grant, or you're inheriting a country that doesn't really acknowledge it whatsoever, it's because we abandoned the Declaration of Independence long before that. And the key creed that is asserted in the Declaration, our rights come from God, not from government. Well, Steve, the Constitution doesn't say our rights come from government because the Constitution was written with that truth in mind as a follow-up to the Declaration. Because our rights come from God, the Constitution is therefore written to limit what government can do so it doesn't intrude on those previously acknowledged inalienable rights. There's a relationship here. And what's happening, what's happening in the spiritual in our day is happening in the natural. And this is where Todd now will bring forth the principle of binding and loosing. We're watching that play itself out right now. We've abandoned these notions in the church. And now we are watching the things in the natural that the church inspired, like the relationship between the Declaration and the Constitution I just articulated. Since we're going to abandon them spiritually, we will now abandon the natural things that our spirituality inspired as well. And that's what's happening in our politics. 
Question number three, or four, I'm sorry. One of the most strident disagreements with you guys is when it is appropriate to use violence, or when it is appropriate to use violence. How can one love an enemy when committing violence against them, even if it is in self-defense? How are Christians any different from the world if we have the same view of self-defense as the world? How is acting in self-defense not a violation of Matthew 5.39? Similar to murder and adultery, couldn't it be the case that Jesus is calling us to a higher standard than the Mosaic law when it comes to self-defense? Is there an example of Jesus or an apostle or a leader in the early church committing an act of violence against another human being? So this is now we're going to we're making a transition here from progressivism to anabaptism essentially. Sure. Okay, so for those this is a term that uh, was used earlier in this uh in this uh discussion. Uh, for those of you that don't know the history of Protestantism, this debate emerged almost immediately after the Reformation, what Grant is articulating. Um, and a, a group uh, kind of veered off from the rest of the Reformers and became known as Anabaptists. And out of that, that have this belief, okay? Um, and they uh, ended up forming uh, sects and, and denominations, you know today as Mennonites, um, uh, Amish, there's a couple of others too, but I can't remember their names. And, you know, they actually had this debate at, um, at Philadelphia in 1776 about whether to declare independence because they knew it would mean war. And many, and I think all but one of the colonies were originally established by, uh, you know, outreaches of the church. I think Rhode Island may have been the only one that wasn't. I think, was it Roger Sherman? If I remember my history, I think Roger Sherman established Rhode Island as a place of religious freedom because, you know, uh, each of when these denominations would establish their colony, they would say, since our denomination is right and yours is wrong, you can't be a free citizen and or uh, be a member of government here. And so I think Roger Sherman, I think, yeah, is, am I right is. about that? Okay. He, uh, uh, a Puritan, by the way, uh, established Rhode Island as a place where all people within, uh, the, the, within Christian orthodoxy could feel free to live. So that was, I think, the only colony that wasn't originally established by some sect of the Christian church. And you had a heavy quick Quaker influence in the colony of Pennsylvania. And they had this debate. And that, that, was a colony that was one of the holdouts over this question. And this is why your declaration is written and worded the way that it is. Um, where there is a list of grievances. I believe it's 27. In other words, the, the case that is made in the declaration is to continue to obey King George is to disobey God. The king is engaged in injustices. And we are to obey God and not men. That is the case that is being made in that document. Now, as to your question, I, I, I think you are asking a valid question, Grant. And the reason why I believe you're asking a valid question is because there have been men of great conscience in the Christian faith that have debated this question with each other for thousands of, for hundreds of years before you and I came along here having this conversation on the blaze. Contemporary example would be John Piper, who uh, would probably fall in line with what Grant believes. Uh, we just had a, a film nominated for an Academy Award uh, that Mel Gibson directed about a Christian conscientious objector to World War II. A, a tremendous film, Hacksaw Ridge. All right, it, I mean, it, it is, it's, it's, it's a giant movie. And it, it pays great homage and honor 
to his Christian conviction from an Anabaptist background, similar to what you're articulating. Here would be, here would be my challenge to you then. Okay. Demonstrate to me how you live out the conviction that you believe is true. Show me you take this interpretation seriously yourself. When someone takes something from you, do you call the police? When someone assaults you, do you call the police? When a loved one next to you is being assaulted, do you idly stand by and do nothing? Do you believe, do you believe that level of passivity? That that's the nature and spirit of what God meant, what Jesus meant by the remarks that you're quoting in context. That a God who was so impassive that he put himself into human form to suffer on our behalf. Do you believe the level of passivity in the face of evil that you're calling for lines up with the heart of God demonstrated by the life of Christ himself? So you're mistaking violence. You're conflating a lot of different terms there in my view. Violence, passivity, um, mercy, grace, etc. But instead of debating those with you, I would like to see whether you believe your own point. Because if you don't believe your own point, there's no point in me debating your point with you. So do you take your, your point to its most logical conclusion? Do you report no offense? Someone cheats off of you in school. You don't report it. You let it go. You turn the other cheek. I mean, if that's your interpretation of what that means, then I, then I need, first of all, to see you take it to its most logical conclusion before I debate a point, I need to see that you believe your own point before yeah. I debate what point you claim to believe. I have had this exact conversation with a former Des Moines Register colleague. Honestly, I, I, it, I, I would believe this was him. And he's probably somebody who's roughly 30 years old now. Uh, and this was right after the, um, the, the Batman shooting, movie theater shooting. Steve, you know what I'm talking yeah, about? That was the one in Aurora, Colorado. Yes, yeah. Aurora. Thank you, Aurora, Colorado. And I simply put it in this specific contest. So you're telling me that it is anti-Christian, unchristian to uh, def- if if I had been carrying a gun to defend not only my family if they were with me, but everybody uh, in there. I, it would be more moral to simply stand down and take the bullets. To my scenario that I painted well, he, for him, he said his own words, well, of course not, which speaks to Zeev's point. Then what are yeah. we talking about? Yeah, because you also can't claim that there's a different God in the New and the Old Testament, okay? That's inherent to part of this point as well. Aaron? All right, final question. A uh, question that I've been wrestling with a lot recently, and I don't think you guys have directly addressed, is the extent to which cultural differences should affect our interpretation of the Bible. For example, why do most, most of Protestants and Catholics Dismiss First Corinthians eleven six, which has to do with uh, women and hair uh, coverings, as only pertaining to that time and culture, but do not accept the similar rationale for the difference in the cultural practice of homosexuality between then and today. 
Uh, how do you discern when an issue is meant for a specific church at that time the apostle was writing it to, or if it's meant for all Christians for all time? How is the church's evolution on slavery different from accepting homosexuality or women pastors? Well, uh, the, can, I, I don't have time to. That, that's a false equivalency. Yes. The yep. slavery, um, and we've tackled the slavery issue. That that's a total red herring. And I thought this was actually a good question until you dropped that word in, and that almost has me at the eject point because yeah. that's a total canard. All right, but in, to close in good faith, the the early church struggled with the question that you're articulating. Actually, they had a council at Jerusalem because now you have Paul, Silas, Barnabas. They're now going to the Greek. Uh, areas. They're going to the Gentile areas, the non-Jewish areas, and they are converting people into this new faith or this new sect because they still consider themselves an offshoot of Judaism at the time. And so you had the, the the Jewish leaders of the church, the original leaders, James, Peter, these people are struggling with some of these things that these new, you know, do we force these people to become Jew or conform to the Jewish tradition we come from in order to be Christians? And the and what they end up deciding is that there is a moral law and then there is cultural conformity. Okay, so the reason why those issues in Corinth are tantamount is because those those were acts of those acts of cultural diversion were intent to point to and tempt people to return to the old immorality. These were women literally coming from pagan areas and saying, hey, we want to bring some of our ways of doing things down here and pollute your church. All right. Meaning they had, they drew no, the pagans weren't the, were the ones not drawing a distinctiveness between their cultural differences and their morality. They were one, they linked them as one and the same, meaning we're dressing this way, acting this way as a sign of who we are and our immorality. And we want to infect the church with it. That's what it was. All right. Christianity from the beginning of the council of Jerusalem there drew that distinction, cultural conformity and righteous morality are not necessarily the same thing okay that we don't have to turn all of no one wants the deacon job of circumcising the 40 year old greek guys all right we don't have to turn everybody in uh, they don't have to eat the same way or anything of that nature but they have to obey god's eternal moral law as articulated where where is that eternal moral law articulated in those 10 commandments if you look at what was what was communicated there in the council of jerusalem and in many respects it's a restating of the second tablet of the law Good questions, though, except for the slavery canard at the end. The rest of those were really good questions, Grant. Hope our audience appreciated the conversation. John 317, we'll see you tomorrow. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.